The hosts of Supernatural Philosophy are not scientists. And no, they're not philosophers either. In fact, they don't even have their bachelor's degrees. So take everything said here with a grain of salt. Unless you're using that salt to keep demons from coming in through your toilet bowl. Leave that where it is. That's more important. Hi, I'm Alex Abraham. And I'm Julia Ercolano. And this is Supernatural Philosophy, a podcast officially endorsed by the Communist Party. <laughs> no. They reached out to us after last week or two weeks ago, um, and they recruited us officially. No. So, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't true. None of that was true. Literally none of it, because last Two week last episode isn't even up the, when we're recording this because we're recording. What are you it. talking about, Julia? How have you been? I haven't talked to you in two <laughs> weeks. Yeah, yeah, because that's realistic. Yeah, I know. We literally talk to each other constantly throughout the day, and if you don't answer me within five minutes, I get kind of nervous that <laughs> you did. I mean, same here. Or that you've decided to hate me, which is valid. <laughs> um. But yeah, we are we are um, directly recording this after we recorded the last episode, so I ain't got time <laughs> ever. Basically, yeah. So the way though that this episode is going to work is we are recording this intro right now, and then we did last time we or while we were recording the previous episode, we did kind of go a little overtime just because we got so into our discussion. Um, so some of which what, hopefully you enjoyed, yeah. So some of yeah, well. what we recorded then will be going into this episode in the beginning here. Um, so that is why it's going to probably be a little bit choppy. But we're going to play that first. Um, and then we will be back with you guys in in a little bit. See you soon. Podcasting magic. Podcasting magic. Boom, boom, boom. All right. So do you want to move on to um, some other talking points? Michaela did have another question for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, does the Mothman have a booty? All right, Thank you, I thought, Michaela. Thought maybe you'd bring that one up. Well, I wasn't gonna not. I don't. I don't know how comfortable I am with sexualizing the Mothman. Perhaps you are, <laughs> are more comfortable with that. Listen, I'm speaking in a completely academic approach. Like, I'm does, not. Does he have a posterior? Yes. Well, if you look at accounts of. The actual Mothman, like, I actually, okay, did watch a documentary about this. If you look at the first calls of the Moth, like, first calls reported uh, sightings, I can't talk tonight, of the Mothman. He is described as, like, a shadowy figure with moth wings and red glowing eyes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people interpret that as literally being just, like, a giant moth with like, that is human-sized and, you know, maybe has longer, like, just two legs that it walks on, bipedals. Um, okay. A lot of other people have just taken it as, like, a like a little cartoon ghost spherical kind of thing with, like, the antennae and the, the wings and the large glowing eyes. Um, the – where did the Mothman thing happen? Sorry. You're going to have to edit this out. Yes, but where in West Virginia? Oh, I don't know. The bridge? Yeah, I know. Uh, Point Pleasant. Okay. 
the uh, the Point Pleasant, the township of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where the Mothman was first spotted, um, decided to erect a statue memorial in memorializing uh, their dear Mothman, uh, and they made him sexy AF. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the Point Pleasant, West Virginia Mothman statue. He does have a Ken Google doll. Have he does have a Ken doll thing going on though downstairs. He is, he is a daddy. Have you seen? He does have a Ken doll thing going on downstairs. I think he's supposed to be maybe like wearing clothes or something. Look at his booty. I don't think he's supposed to be wearing clothes. Clothes because all let me count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of his abs are showing. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe it's just a really tight shirt. Can you look up a rear view of this statue, though? Because I have an answer to Michaela's question, and the answer is yes. Okay, I can look up a rear view in a minute, but first can we address what artist decided to give him extensive chest hair? <laughs> um, I did actually look up the artist one time because I was like, who the fuck did this? Oh, his name was Bob Roach, and he's dead. He died in 2015. Uh, he was 81. Oh, okay. Damn, I don't know how old he was when he put up the statue, but um, it is featured on the absolute worst, stat- worst statues in the world list. Well, that seems um, a little extreme. Listen, I'm just saying he had an opportunity to go all Michelangelo's David with that Mothman dick, and he didn't, and so I am judging him a little bit for that. Yeah. I get that we're living in a different time, but that doesn't mean we can't still have artistic expression. Allie, how did you find the butt? Because I, I looked up Mothman statue rear. Oh, wait, no, I didn't. God, it's just so bad. Oh, I found it. Yeah, look at his feet. Those aren't even moth feet. Those are like chicken feet. So just, it's disgusting. It's horrible. Uh, this is not my Mothman. My Mothman is not a daddy. Yeah, he does have talents. The chest hair is really just the, the main thing, though. That, that I mean, there's a lot to be upset about, but that... <laughs> He like he looks like he's wearing like plate armor also, which I don't know if that's like his exoskeleton. Okay, so the uh, the twelve foot tall metallic statue of the creature, created by artist and sculptor Bob Roach, was unveiled in two thousand three. So this man who died at eighty one in twenty fifteen would have been how old in two thousand three? Like late sixties. Yeah. Late sixties. This man in his late sixties created this this image of the Mothman that we we're being shown. I'm going to go yeah. ahead and call this homoerotic AF. What did Bob Roach's family like think about this? I, I, uh, I hope that they're very proud of it. Right. That's a cool fact, like a cool icebreaker to bring out. My dad made the Mothman booty statue. Do he got a booty? He do. And now do. if Julia ever agrees to come to Point Pleasant with me for the Mothman Festival, which happens every year in September, I will be able to take a selfie with this booty for you, dear listeners. And I will post that to our Twitter someday. Yeah, someday. Wow, the chest hair really is insane. I'm sorry, I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, it's excessive. Why does it just end there, too? Why is it, like, that? that is manscaping. That's not natural. Does he have dreads? It looks a little bit like he might, yeah. That's an issue. This is an issue. Oh, God. This, now it's problematic on top of everything. Yeah, else. now it's become problematic. God damn it. I gotta say, after, after listening to Taz Am- to the Adventure Zone Amnesty, like, my just whole image of the Mothman has changed so much because now he's injured down in my mind. and He's just a sweet boy. Yeah, well, I always loved the Mothman. I know you did. I never, I mean, I never disliked the Mothman. Hey, you know what I just remembered? 
That Paul McCartney's the Mothman? That, but also that we won $250 for constructing Mothman wings out of trash when we were 18. We did. <laughs> we don't. We, yeah. You might have been 19. I might have been 19. Um, that is true. We, um, <laughs> we did compete in an upcycle craft show. Curated by me. I want you to know that I curated and then also won this show. I was not one of the judges, yeah. so I had no hand in that. It was just funny. $250. <laughs> that is a significant amount of yeah. money. Now, it was not 250 each. Nonetheless, 100 and or however much. Yeah, $125 each. Again, not insignificant. Yeah, no. Especially to two unemployed teenagers. Yeah, no. We should, uh, we'll have to, we'll try and find pictures from that, <laughs> um, and tweet those out as well. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they're, they're somewhere buried deep on something. Something, yeah. Probably Facebook. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that happened. <laughs> Thank you, Michaela, for your wonderful <laughs> questions. Yeah, and for the wonderful memories that it did bring. This is a question that came to me, as many do, while I was sitting at my cubicle at my internship doing absolutely nothing <laughs> because that is what internships are and I was thinking about the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven 2 the second one specifically? yeah I gotta be honest I, I don't I didn't think you'd have seen it don't worry well I, no I do think I saw it I, I, th I think I saw the first one um, but I do remember those books giving me anxiety because they dealt with dead dogs, which I don't like. There were books? They were books, too, I believe. Ah, uh, no, I don't At least the first one. So. Maybe it was turned into a book after the movie, but I think the movie was an original. No, maybe I did just make that up. I can't even find it. You know what? I read a book once called, like, All Toads Go to Heaven. Um, yeah. So... Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar, All Dogs Go to Heaven is a 1989 animated musical fantasy comedy drama filmed <laughs> and produced by John Bluth and released by United Artists and Goldcrest Films. It's the story of Charlie B. Barkin, voiced by Burt Reynolds, a German shepherd that is murdered by his former- wait. What? <laughs> Are you talking? You're talking about the first one right now, though, right? Yeah, I'm literally reading the Wikipedia page. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm reading just the like primary Google synopsis that comes up, and it says in this animated feature, canine casino owner Charlie is killed yeah. by gambler Carface. Yeah. Uh, it murdered by his former friend Carface, voiced by Vic Tabak, in his penultimate film role. Uh but withdraws from his place in heaven to return to Earth, where his best friend, Itchy Itchiford, voiced by Dom DeLuise, or De yeah, we're gonna go with DeLuise, still lives, and they team up with a young orphan girl named Anne-Marie, I remember her, um, voiced by Judith Barcy in her final film role. Why are there, <laughs> why is there, <laughs> why was this the last sort of thing? Was Judith Barcy the... Uh, yeah, the Land Before Time actress. I think she was the one murdered by her dad. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was. This was the last movie she was in before she got murdered. Great. Oh, wait, um, like she was actually? Yes. Oh, wow. You didn't know that? The little girl from Land Before Time was murdered? No. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Wait, but Land, up... Land Before Time is also animated. I know. She voiced 
Oh yeah, the little yellow one. Okay, the the triceratops. No, I don't. I don't know. Not the triceratops. The little one. The little one. Oh well, it's not yellow. It is. In all of these images, there's no yellow one. Oh wait, hold on. Maybe this one is. Is she kind of like a a yellow green? I guess. Yeah, in some of the pictures I'm looking at, it does definitely look more green. Yeah. Okay. Her name. Was, yeah, that her one. name was Ducky. Yes, Ducky. That fool. So he is murdered and withdraws from his place in heaven. And I remember this scene because there's like a poodle that runs heaven. And she's like, if you leave, you can never come back. Which ethically seemed a little fucked to me. But Anne-Marie teaches them an important lesson about kindness, friendship, and love. So the plot is that... Why does Anne-Marie look like Snow White? I don't know. In 1939, New Orleans, Charlie B. Barkin and his best friend Itchy Itchiford escape from the dog pound and return to their casino riverboat on the bayou, formerly run by Charlie himself and his business partner, Carface Caruthers. Refusing to share the profits with Charlie, Carface has been responsible for Charlie and Itchy getting committed to the pound and persuades Charlie to leave town with 50% of the casino's earnings. Charlie agrees, but is later intoxicated and killed by Carface by getting run over by a car. He is sent to heaven despite never actually doing any good deeds in his life. Wait, hold on, where does it say that in the Wikipedia? Yeah. (laughs) Where he meets a whippet angel known as Annabelle, who tells him that a gold watch representing his life has stopped. He steals and winds it, returning to Earth, but is told if that he dies again, he will not return in heaven, will end up in hell instead. And I do want to say that the all dogs go to heaven, hell scene, terrified me as a child, and it is probably the reason I was so, like, attached to church when I was growing up. Do they say the word hell? Yes. This film is rated G. Hell isn't a swear, it's a place. Yeah, but, like, still, they they... they... Like Disney Channel didn't doesn't say hell, or at least Wait. they didn't. Disney Channel is apparently much different now than our friend Rocky has recently been informing us about a much progressive show on Disney Channel called Andy Mac. Um, hang on. After reuniting with Itchy, they discover that Carface has kidnapped a young orphaned girl named Anne Marie, who has the ability to talk to animals and gain knowledge of a race's results beforehand, allowing Carface to rig the odds on the rats in his favor. They rescue Wait, so her. in this in this world, dogs can run casinos and such, but humans don't typically understand them. Yes, but this little girl can talk to animals, so she's special. So he kidnaps her so that he will, so that she will predict the outcome of the rat races. Huh. This film had a thirteen point eight million dollar budget. Damn. <laughs> um. So then I don't know. They save Anne-Marie, they bring pizza to a family of poor puppies. So basically, Charlie ends up doing way more good deeds in his second life than he ever did in his first life, and at the end of the film, I'm pretty sure he dies again and is allowed to go to heaven. So then what's all dogs go to heaven too about? Well, the film ends with Charlie watching Carface getting chased away until he looks at the audience and says, he'll be back before winking and revealing his halo, meaning that we know that he's gone to heaven. So All Gods Go to Heaven 2 is a 1996 American animated romantic musical comedy drama film and a sequel to Goldcrest's 1989 film All Dogs Go to Heaven. Um, it was co-directed by Paul Sabella and Larry Lecker. Dom DeLuise reprises his role for the film alongside new cast members Charlie Sheen, 
as Charlie. So they went from Burt Reynolds to Charlie Sheen. You know, I had a dream the other night that Charlie Sheen was a, pl- a close uh, family friend. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, okay. Uh. So, oh, the guy who made these films also made The Land Before Time, The Secret of Nim, and American Tale. Oh, man, Secret of Nim is also fucked up, isn't it? Yeah, I liked it, though. Oh, he's also responsible for Sherlock Gnomes, so this is a real hit-or-miss creator, <laughs> obviously. So hang on now, because this is what really gets me. 57 years after the events of the first movie... In 1996, so the sequel's contemporary, Charlie B. Barkin welcomes his friend Itchy to heaven, but states that he's disillusioned by the afterlife. And I do remember this scene. They sing a whole song about how paradise gets old. But what I really want to emphasize here is that the sequel takes place 57 years after the first one, and Itchy has just died. I'm sorry, did you say 57? Yeah. Well, maybe it's in dog years. Well, no, because it is actually 1996, and they do have hip-hoppy music in the second one. Oh, my. Yeah. So Carface is also dead, and he steals Gabriel's horn. This gets into some weird, like, Christian mythology. Yeah, that's very biblical. Uh, Annabelle sends them to retrieve it, and and she gives them one miracle that they can use. Upon arrival in San Francisco, they discover themselves as ghosts and therefore are unable to interact with the physical world. At a tavern where Charlie flirts with a smooth-talking and gorgeous Irish settler named Sasha LaFleur, Carface appears in corporeal form, granted by a red dog collar, created by Red, an elderly dog fortune teller who gives Charlie and Itchy equivalent collars, effective for a single day. Shortly thereafter, unbeknownst to the duo, Red reveals his true form as a large demonic cat who intends to take the horn for himself with Carface's help. I'm going to give you a minute, so let's just kind of, like, sit with that. Wait, so they go on a Bible quest? They go on a Bible quest. They get these magical collars so that people can see them. Charlie has a crush on this other dog that they saw, an Irish settler. The old dog fortune teller that gave them these magical uh, collars is actually a cat working with their enemy. Okay. Yeah. Charlie and Ichimi, Sasha, and the human boy she is caring for, David, who ran away from home to become a street performer, the former leading him to believe- Sasha is the dog he has a crush on. Yes, they. He is his guardian angel. All right, hold on. Can you just give me two seconds to finish taking this Taylor Swift class? Are you kidding? (laughs) I was half doing it, but I was also listening. I don't believe you. <laughs> Hold on. Okay, I got 8 out of 19. All right. You suck. All right. Okay. So Charlie and Itchy meet so, Sasha. Well, hold on. And- let, me, let me recap. Yeah. Uh, Carface, who is bad dog who murdered Charlie in the first place. Yes. Is dead but steals Bible thingy. Gabriel's horn. Yeah. So boys go on Bible quest. Meet. Yes. Dog fortune teller, not dog, but cat, actually. Evil cat, who work with car who works with Carface. Uh, meanwhile, Charlie, now voiced by Charlie Sheen and no longer Burt Reynolds, has crush on on other dog who is alive. Sasha, Sasha mm-hmm. who is alive. And Sasha has a boyfriend already. No. This is where you lost me. You so said she I'm gonna had, read, there's another dog no, that no. she cares for. 
No, 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 no. Listen to this. I want you to really just let the syntax sit with you in this sentence because I'm an English major and I don't even know what the fuck this means. <laughs> Charlie and Itchy meet Sasha and a human boy she is caring for, David, who ran away from home to become a street performer, the former leading him to believe that he is his guardian angel. Okay, hold up. Let's start. The use of the relative pronoun has been bastardized beyond belief in that sentence. Re- hold on. Go from the beginning. I'm going to tell you to stop at a point. Go. Charlie and Itchy meet Sasha and a human boy she is caring for, David. Okay, hold on, stop right there. Dated. Is that... David. David. Okay, this is where I was getting confused. Okay, so the doll, Sasha, cares for a human boy. Named David. Named David. Okay, continue. Who ran away from home to become a street performer, the former leading him to believe that he is his guardian angel. The former what? That's what I think they mean Charlie, as in the first list in the sentence, like the first name in the sentence. Okay. This was just really poorly written. Before leaving for Easy Street, Charlie uses his miracle in the form of a lustful kiss, which Sasha is angered by, to grant Sasha the ability to converse with David. Oh. So he sexually assaults her to give her magic people talking And he's on a Bible quest. Yeah. Upon seeing the horn being taken into a police station, they retrieve it. Is it a human a- police station or a dog police station? I think a human police station because they I'm before so th- they were at the they were at the pound. I'm so confused at the interplay here. Yeah, uh, they retrieve it with Carface failing to steal it back from them, refusing to return to heaven. This is this Act Two twist. Charlie conceals it in a lobster trap on Easy Street, which I guess is an actual place. They entertain an audience with magic tricks, but a rainstorm and David falling into a fountain ruins the act. David finally reveals his belief that his father and stepmother, who are expecting a new baby, will care less for him once it's born, but is persuaded otherwise by Charlie. As Charlie and Sasha embrace, his collar vanishes, and he and Itchy become ghosts again. Carface then kidnaps David. (laughs) (laughs) We're not done yet. (laughs) We're not done. Uh, and demands that Charlie bring Gabriel's horn to Alcatraz Island and give it to Red in exchange for David's Aren't life. Aren't they in New Orleans? I have no idea. That's a long way to go. <laughs> Alcatraz is in California, no? Determined to fulfill his promise to get David home, Charlie approaches Red, who presses him to give him who's the horn. Red? Who's Red? Red is the cat dog. Okay. I wasn't he allowed to watch so. that television show. Okay. My mom thought it was inappropriate. Yeah, where did it poop? But that's a different episode. <laughs> he does so, and Red uses it to capture Heaven's canine angels and send them to Earth in prison cells, including Annabelle. Charlie, Itchy, Sasha, and David battle Red and steal the horn, which Charlie plays to free the angels and send Red back to hell. Carface comes out of hiding and attempts to downplay his involvement. However, he does offer a genuine apology, hoping to finally make peace with Charlie. However, Red returns and drags Carface into hell, which reveals to everyone that Carface unknowingly sold his soul to him in exchange for his collar. Charlie gives the horn back to Annabelle in exchange for his life and says yet another goodbye to Itchy, who decides to remain in heaven. After he reunites with Sasha and David, they head into the latter's house where he returns and reconciles with his parents. His stepmother is relieved that he's still alive and explains that she's been worried about him and that just because she's pregnant doesn't mean she doesn't love him and that they aren't a family. They then adopt Charlie and Sasha and the two share a kiss. Dogs don't kiss. Uh, happy with their new life together. So what happens the next time he dies? This boy has, she- has lived... He's on his third life. 
Yeah. So uh, this film, I, I, it doesn't have a budget listed, but it only made $8.6 million at the box office, which is less than the budget of the first film. Yeah. So what I was thinking about at work, do all dogs go to heaven? Allie, I don't want to talk about dead dogs. <laughs> That literally we just is like spent the, past the earliest. Ten minutes talking about dead dogs. We spent well, about twenty minutes talking about dead dogs. We just spent yeah, but like about a movie about it, not about like. Well, I guess that this movie is hypocritical because it then shows a dog going to hell, getting dragged to hell by a cat, and I'd love to unpack that with you. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, I just like the like. Are we accepting this movie lore? Yes, dogs are good. I uh, I agree that that all dogs are good dogs and all dogs go to heaven. That's not so much my question. As I suppose what I'm really asking is is there dog heaven the way it is presented in the film All Dogs Go to Heaven and its subsequent sequel All Dogs Go to Heaven 2. What like is there a heaven that it's like is there a separate heaven for dogs and a separate well, for people? Is that what you're Tumblr asking? Post. Yeah. There's a Tumblr post I really liked that says dog heaven is squirrel hell. And it's a very efficient system. And I enjoy that quite a bit. Yeah. Um. Well, I hope they don't have separate ones because I would like to see my dog again. Well, yeah, you know, I'm thinking that too. And also... Why did you bring this up? Are you okay? Yeah, but this is sad. I don't like thinking about well, because dead, dead pups. We do a show about monsters and there's this movie about criminal dogs that get to go to heaven anyway just because they're dogs, and I think that raises a real ethical question. Okay, I see. I see what you're getting at. Well, is Charlie a criminal? He owns a casino. That's not a crime. I think in the 30s that was a crime. I don't... I, no, that's... It's really, it's really painted as an illegal event. He busted out of the pound to come back. Also, the dog Iggy lived for 57 years. <laughs> yeah, that, that... I'm sorry, Itchy. His name is Itchy. Yeah. Um, that's, that's an interesting, um, choice. 57 years. Wait, hold on. What year does the second one take place? 1996. That's more than 50 years. And the first one's in the 30s? Yeah, I said 57 years. Okay, well, I think then that one thing that's, that's wrong there is that it is potentially showing, you know, casino owning as a crime when it, it, it is not if it's an illegal air. Like, obviously, there are places where it is illegal to have a casino, but I do not think that New Orleans is one of those places. And I think that we are post-prohibition at this point, so. But, I don't know, man. Well, he did get into heaven despite never doing a single good deed in his life. That is canon. Now, I'm curious if that is something that is said in the, in the film or if that is something that the person who wrote this summary has to, like, like their own bias is slipping in there? I think it is in the film. I think they do explain to him that all dogs get to go to heaven. Interesting. I have vivid memories of watching this movie at my aunt's house. Oh my god. I feel like we need to disregard the second one as canon. Like, you know how some Disney sequels are just so bad that you forget that they happen? Like, Brother Bear 2? Or, like, the, uh, not quite sequel, but Beauty and Midful. the Beast Christmas special. <laughs> Yeah. You know what? Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> you want to you wanna go ahead and give a plot synopsis? Oh, man. I mean... So, first of all, the reason Disney made this film was because they wanted more Beast Kink um, media. Yeah, presumably. They were like, the runtime of the original Beauty and the Beast, so let's look that up real quick. So, that original hour and 32 minutes of... Well, let's, say, let's call it an hour and 30-ish minutes 
of the good good beast kink was not enough we need to do more we yeah need so to i did another pull beast up. movie Mm -hmm. And that the runtime on this uh, Beauty and the Beast, the Enchanted Christmas is a hundred. I mean, is one hour and twelve minutes. So they basically doubled the amount of Daddy Beast time, and I suppose maybe we should thank them for that. Yeah. So let's see how much of this plot I can remember. Basically, there's an there's an evil organ. That was maybe the Beast's boyfriend. We're unsure. See, I'm I'm not entirely sure where you remember this because I thought there was something going on with the organ and the piccolo. No, the, the organ, organ was henchman. awful to the piccolo. No, the organ well, was Well, I know. Was it so was a very unhealthy piccolo. relationship. Tim Curry's in this movie. Oh. I'm just saying. It's a pretty stacked cast. And and so there's the evil organ who is doing something. I think he wants to stay an organ, perhaps? No, he's, he's jealous because before Belle came to the castle, the beast spent all his time with the organ, and the organ was his only friend. Oh, but on Wikipedia it says that the organ player, though, is not in the mood to be human again. So he decides to figure a way for the beast to steer clear of falling in love with Belle. He believes that, oh, yeah. whoa, believes humanity is overrated. Mm. Um, he thinks he needs to use some power in his enchanted yeah, so his... That sounds like a him problem, honestly. Yeah, and so his name is Forte. Basically, Forte sends Thief who is the piccolo yeah or or i think he's a piccolo right i don't i'm not really sure um sends thief because forte cannot move because he is an organ so how's that for your whole humanity is overrated oh, thing you know what though this is i think we need to acknowledge this is a frame narrative it is it, and it does begin with them all as humans the film starts out with everybody getting prepared for Christmas. Lumiere and Cogsworth argue about who saved Christmas last year. Chip begs Mrs. Potts to be the narrator of the story. Please, please don't Allie, let them. Allie, we have to obviously now rewatch this movie, keeping in mind that Mrs. Potts is the narrator, and how does she frame herself in it? Oh, you're right. Oh, man. So this is actually a really biased tale. Yeah. And, you know the narrator in the first film was not also a character in the film so he, he's reliable in that sense that you know we know that he's a part but this this narrator is mrs potts and quite frankly she has an agenda absolutely honestly i you know where's mr potts i'm just saying maybe forte and mrs potts have a history Perhaps. Um, also, if you would just direct your attention to the movie poster for this. Lumiere has his arm around the angel on the tree. Uh, the, like, the tree-topping angel. I, don't, I can't tell if his arm is around her or if he's just reaching behind her. I think it, well, Lumiere has, has some game. The angel I'm is not marketed as, like, a character, but I'm pretty sure she only comes alive in one scene. Uh, maybe. Is Lumiere's girlfriend the feather duster in this? I don't know if the feather duster is in it. There is also, I mean, we do have to mention the axe. Oh, yeah. There's this this axe who is just a horrible Jewish stereotype, basically. And it's quite offensive. It's really bad, actually. Both of us yeah. who are not Jewish found it very offensive. Yeah, that was one issue among many. Wow, the axe is... The axe's name is Axe. Okay, hold on. The beast reflects on his past. Christmas was the day he was most selfish, and it was on that day that the Enchantress put the spell on him in the castle. Is that Was that canon in the first one? No, I'm pretty sure it was his birthday party. It was winter, though, because it was snowing, I think. Yeah, because the Enchantress is like, please let me in. There's a storm. It's so cold. And he's like, no, who are you? And he's 11 and probably has been taught good stranger danger rules. And so the Enchantress is like, you're such a dick. I'm turning you into a monster forever. 
unless you respect the Sarah J. Mass um, approach to this, which I believe is that he's only a monster sometimes. Are you talking about um, Akatar? Yeah. The Court of Thorns and Roses. Uh, so you just said that like a goblin. You just said like, like a goblin that takes your firstborn son. Goblin. <laughs> we are. I will take your children and make them read about dick soap. <laughs> um, he is. He okay. Well, he can turn into a a a, a furry beast. Um. Like, I'm sorry, do you mean furry as in he has fur, or furry as in, you know, a furry? Uh, as in he has fur. Feyre. I think the answer can be both. I think Feyre is the, the furry in the sexual sense. Okay. Um, but Go on. Yeah, but he is also, I think, consi- so he's a fey, so that's why he can turn into, like, a bear wolf thing. But he also, his estate has also been felled by a curse and this cur- that curse um, was implemented on the day of a masquerade ball, and so um, everyone on the estate has a mask glued to their face um, in-, in perpetuity. I did just recently read another hot white take on the Beauty and the Beast retelling train that we are on. Um, it's called A Curse So Dark and Lonely by Bridget Kremer, I believe. Kremner, maybe? Uh, we have the same birthday, so I'm very biased in thinking that she's probably pretty cool. Um, and this was a neat sort of retelling because it does exist between two worlds. So there's, like, the world of the Beauty and the Beast story, and then there's the real world. And Belle is from the real world. That's not her name. Her, she has a different name. Uh, I think her name might be Harper. And she has cerebral palsy, which I thought was really interesting because I've never read a book with a disabled heroine before, and I really like yeah. that. Um, the Beast, though, didn't do it for me, but the way that his transformation cycle worked was that, like, I don't know, they don't have months in the fairy tale kingdom, but they measure time in seasons, and he is reliving the, the season of his 18th birthday. And at the end of the season, he becomes a beast, and he's a different beast every time. Uh, and everybody who he kills stays dead, but the timeline does restart on his estate. So time is passing outside the estate, but within the estate, he's just caught in a time loop. Interesting. Yeah. I'm really curious about like how that all worked out, and they did kind of explain it, and I don't super remember. Uh, but you should check that book out, or like listeners, hey... Check that book out. It made number two on the Indie Next list, so that's pretty neat. Uh, it was a little heavy-handed for me. I'm really tired of Beauty and the Beast retellings, honestly, but I did make it the whole way through. So, it couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> I <I've> been... <laughs> I feel like I'm trashing it. I'm not... It was a good book. Pick it up. Okay, anyway. Uh, maybe um, maybe mention that name, that, that title, one more time. A Curse So Dark and Lonely. All right. It's blue. <laughs> but I swear to God, if you go to, into your local bookstore and you're like, I'm looking for a book... Um, can't remember the title but it's blue i will like form in front of you i will appear uh and i will punch you in your fucking face <laughs> also don't don't um go in and say hi i'm looking for a book i can't remember the title the cover is blue i think it's like a beauty and the beast are telling or something because you might then end up getting a court of mist and fury which is the sequel to a court of thorns and roses by sarah j mass and while this one is not necessarily a beauty and the beast retelling obviously it's, it's related to the first one, um. So so be careful there, because that's that's the dick soap book. That is the dick soap book indeed. 
How did we get from all dogs go to heaven here? We were talking about shitty sequels. Oh. Yeah. Listen, I feel like we might get some shit from the people who don't listen to this podcast that this was not about supernatural philosophy at all. Yes, it was. Guys, you can only talk about centaur dicks for so long. You can only talk about centaur dicks for so long. A. B. Philosophy is thought. And we have definitely been doing some thought. Yeah, this is not strictly like the biological and anatomical uh, sense of, of this. Sometimes we just meditate a lot, you know? Yeah. Wait, hold on. I do just want to point out one more issue with uh, Beauty and the Beast the Enchanted Christmas. Oh, yeah. Christmas doesn't happen in the first movie, and yet this story is supposed to take place within that timeline, but that timeline... I mean, we don't know. That timeline is, like, a solid week. Julia and I got really analyzing this movie when we were living together, uh, and we did watch the movie, and we did try to track how much time had passed, and I think we figured out, like, maximum Belle was with the Beast for, like, what, four days? Like, I don't even think it's a week. And we do know this because of the Maurice timeline. There's no possible way that Maurice was in the forest starving for weeks. Yeah, yeah, he, he would have been dead. Yeah, so the fact that Maurice coming back and telling them about the Beast is what kickstarts the raid on the... Or, or I'm sorry, them locking Maurice up is what prompts Belle to go home. And then, you know, the raid that is the final fight scene of the movie... None of that could have happened, like, logically speaking, at max, the movie was only covering a span of, like, two weeks. Yeah, no, two weeks is definitely pushing it. So, the fact that they're, you know, the movie did take place over the winter, but the fact that they are suggesting that Christmas elapsed in that time is kind of a big stretch. Yeah, which just, I think, really causes attention to be pulled to Mrs. Potts, our unreliable narrator. It's true. And I do think... That the original Beauty and the Beast movie, which I recently read the Wikipedia page about, actually. Um, I do think that that was actually just oversight. I think we were supposed to take it as Belle having been there for a long time. Like, long enough to realistically fall in love with this dude. I mean, Disney's never really been that concerned with that before. The fact is, she wasn't. And also, their marriage is gonna fall the fuck apart. Because he's aggressive, she's very strong-willed, and honestly, go her. But... Damn. Hey, Allie. Yeah. What if the reason that they're just all still inanimate objects is because that, like, what if that's how Mrs. Potts's memory works? What if in all of her memories, even from before the curse, <laughs> she's a fucking teapot? Well, doesn't that kind of ruin the plot of the film? Though? Oh yeah, I guess so. Because Forte doesn't yeah. want. Well, maybe Forte is still. Oh, do they kill? They must kill Forte in the end. I don't. I remember. think they do. Well, they kind of have to, because how can they let this guy still be... Like, this fool is not there at the end of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. There is no... There was also no fucking piano in Beauty and the Beast. You can't just introduce this entire hidden storyline. Well, no, because he's in, like he's, in a, a, he's in his own room, and no one's allowed in there. He must be in the West Wing. Do you know how loud an organ is? I was going to say, I guess Beast doesn't go and, and play him, but he plays himself. And he, he seems play- to do it pretty frequently. <sighs> I'm bringing this back to the whole the Beast and Forte had a had a gay relationship <laughs> thing. This ma- Forte is significantly older. I don't know how we could know that. They de- they definitely show him at one point as a grown man. I don't know. Um, and he's know. like an old. Yep. Hold up, I'm gonna send you this picture because he's got weird hair. Yeah, I think I've seen it. 
but um you know i don't like yeah oh christ he looks like a mummy like yeah oh look at i forgot that they computer animated forte they were so proud of i just noticed that. that also and i'm mm. so yeah you know um they also had a different actress play Belle, i think well of course there's probably a different actress playing the beast yeah. too and Mrs. Potts and Lumiere, and like you know, they made it big with that first one. They were not coming back to yeah. the straight to DVD. I'm sorry, direct to VHS. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say something. I can't even remember what it was. We were talking about Forte playing himself, but before that, we were having a serious conversation. Who are we? Ish, <laughs> kinda. Oh, you suggested that Mrs. Potts's memory is that she's always a teapot in her mind. <laughs> I'm at, you know, you know what? Disregard everything I just said. I just remembered something else that's really important, and we're pushing 42 minutes already, and we do have the other stuff to add in. But what I do want to say really quick is that what I learned recently is that the scene in Beauty and the Beast where um, the Beast is like eating all gross with his mouth because he can't pick things up because of his bare hands in the original like screenplay of the movie. He just sat down with a giant deer, like a dead deer that he had hunted and killed, and was just going to eat raw. And the the fine folks at Disney were like, hey. That might be disturbing. <laughs> and so they, they settled for just having a deer carcass in the West Wing. In his bedroom. In his bedroom. Where he sleeps in a nest. Yeah. My favorite part of the, re- of the live action remake is actually the brief glimpse we get as his nest, because it's so fucking nasty. And I'm just like, thank you, Disney. Yes. Thank you for giving me that gross, gory content that I want and need. Oh God! You know, at the end of the uh, of the remake, they when he turns in back into a human, they were going to have him be naked, like you know, I did torso know up, yeah. But then they were like, "Oh, that's too inappropriate for the children." But it would make more sense. That's too inappropriate. It would, because why is he yeah. in clothes? Well, is he? Well, the beast wears clothes though got like a shirt well his pants would be i mean unless he has hulk pants his pants would be far too big do you think his dick got significantly smaller yeah do you think and bell was like you think the first time they were in bed together bell was like oh. <laughs> well what was the first time they were in bed together before or after transformation okay uh, yeah what i meant by that was the first time they were in bed together post transformation yeah. Obviously, Belle was into the Beast for a reason, and I think that that's going to cause some problems in their sex life as as two humans. Also, I feel like he is childlike in a way that makes me uncomfortable with their relationship. Yeah, he's incredibly emotionally stunted. He was 11 when he became a bear. Yeah, he might be maybe at like 13 mentally. Absolutely. But Belle is absolutely at least early 20s. Like, she's a very mature young woman. Yep. And it's weird. Yeah. He can't read. Where did Chip come from? <laughs> I think that'll do it for us this week. Thank you so much for <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays. Send us your uh, Beauty and the Beast or All Dogs Go to Heaven or All Dogs Go to Heaven 2 related questions. But please not your Beauty and the Beast, the Enchanted Christmas. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that anymore. That's, that's dead. That's dead to the show. It's officially discontinued from this show. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to salt your toilet. <laughs>